guys. I'm Michaela. I'm Danielle. And this is Stranger Takes, the podcast. Uh, today we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 1, The Vanishing of Will Byers. So the show initially starts out, um, backdrop on some stars. Uh, it says Hawkins, Indiana, November 6, 1983. Um, pans down to a apparent government building. Uh, and then inside, we see a scientist who is on the run from something sinister that we can't see yet, uh, and then presumably gets slaughtered by said creature again off camera. Uh, and that leads us into the introduction to four of our main characters uh, who are engaging in a session of Dungeons and Dragons in the basement of their home, uh, one of one of their homes. So we've got Mike, Lucas, Dustin, and Will all playing D&D, which is then cut short when Mike's mom, Karen, comes uh, or knocks on the basement door, actually, and tells him that time's up. It's 8.15, 9.15, something like that. And everybody needs to pack up and go home. Uh, unfortunately, they're nearing the end of a 10-hour Dungeons & Dragons session, which is pretty intense. Um, I've only played it maybe five times, and it lasted an hour and a half each time. <laughs> so I simply could not imagine playing Dungeons & Dragons for ten hours straight. Uh, and I do just want to say, um, I love the opening of the show. It's like It's very ominous. I feel like you can kind of forget that this is like a horror show because there's so many, like, lighthearted and fun moments. Um, so I really love that opening, like, immediately into a horror setting, which I think is also kind of what we were expecting, because when they originally started promoting the show, they had, like, Winona Ryder as, like, the star ticket number one of the show. And you think Winona Ryder, you know, you think Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, you know, this iconic... 80s and 90s actress playing the mom of Will Byers and I just I think scary movies when I see her you know so I really really appreciate that very ominous opening to the show um so yeah obviously all the kids uh get told they gotta pack up and leave um so then really cute moment uh there's some pizza left and Dustin <laughs> takes it upstairs to ask Nancy if she wants the last slice. Uh, Nancy being Mike's oldest sister, older sister. It's the only one. I don't know why I said oldest. She's really not the only one. <laughs> the, 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 only, the only one that's older than him. She's the oldest sibling out of, of the, three of the Wheelers. Yeah. You got little baby Holly who's like, I want to say she looks like she's like three or four in season one. And then obviously, uh, little kids grow like weeds, so you don't really have a consistent aging of Holly for the rest of the show compared to everybody else, but that's cool. Um, but yeah, so he goes upstairs, asks Nancy if she wants a, wants a slice. She pretty much tells him to get lost, which was probably when I fell in love with Nancy Wheeler. She didn't the actually first time. say anything to him. She just shut the door in his face. Yeah, she just slammed the door in his face, and it just, it just gave such uh, hot teen girl energy, you know? Like... Like, I really was Gatton Matarazzo in that moment, like, going to 
say hi to my friend's hot older sister and then just getting the door slammed in my face. This is where I want to point out that you actually at one point literally said, is Ted Wheeler a hot dad? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying he looked, he looked a little fly, you know, he's got his, he's got his button up. Uh, he's like, where he's like wearing a suit to family dinner, which he clearly wears to the office, but and it would be super weird if he came home and changed into street clothes and then after that changed into pajamas. But I don't think so. That's what my dad used to do. He would change into street clothes and then change into pajamas yeah. later. Yeah. Do you, do you not know my dad? That's super fucking weird, bro. <laughs> he used to wear a tie and a button up to work. He'd come home and change that out. Put on his pole. He'd change his boots because he'd wear the ostrich or the snake ones to work. And then he would uh, put on the old ones. Interesting. And then he'd put on his pajamas. Very, very interesting. Um, no, I think for me, the only valid reason to change out of your work clothes and the street clothes after work, especially if you get home late, like, all you're going to do is eat dinner and watch TV and then go to bed, like, is if you work at, like, a hospital or something. No, he like, works in an office. Or, like, anyway, anywhere where you get, like, extra gross, you know, so, like, outdoor work, um, hospital, doctor's office, like, extra germs and stuff, you know. Just depends on who the person is, I guess. I guess, man. I don't know. I'd be coming home and taking all my clothes off and putting on a t-shirt, and I'm like, all right, I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's just me though but yeah i think i think ted's objectively a hot dad like he's not like extremely attractive but like like i don't know i was just looking at him and i was like he was probably hot when he was like 20 yeah. i have yet to look up the actor to see if he was maybe actually hot when he was 20 but you're actually just saying a lot of words that do not resonate with me <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough um, I mean, listen, he's he's nowhere close to being as hot as Karen Wheeler. All right. Like, Karen Wheeler is a hot mom. Season one, like, eh. But like, as it goes on, you know, like, I'm not I'm not a fan of the of the look in season one, but but she's still a hot mom. It was 1983. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of the look that people had going on in 1983. I think Nancy's outfits are ugly as hell in the first season. <laughs> okay, well, don't let her hear you saying that. <laughs> She'd probably agree with me where she at now. She'd be like, yeah, I was dressed like a fucking pansy-ass bitch. She was like, man, that was atrocious. <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so kid's packing up, Dustin gets the door slammed in his face by Nancy, um, then everybody takes off on their, well, not everybody, Mike obviously lives there. All the other kids take off on their bikes. Uh, Dustin and Lucas split up, going one direction, and then Will takes off in the other direction for his house. Um, unfortunately for Will, that is when he encounters a horrifying-looking silhouette of a person monster thing in the street uh, and crashes his bike off to the side of the road and then takes off running from this monster. Um, he gets all the way to his house, runs inside. I don't really know why he doesn't just stay inside. Um, I mean, I guess I, I guess I do. He goes, he runs out the back door to the shed so he could grab a shotgun and load it up. Um, and upon, I think every single time that I see this episode, I'm like, that is so crazy. Why does a 12-year-old know how to load a shotgun? And then I remember that this is America. 
Indiana in particular in the 1980s. And also, despite the fact that I was 12 in 2010, I also knew how to load a shotgun. So it's like I want to be against it, but then I remember who I am and what this country is. Where did you grow up? Arizona. No, see, that was not my experience. I, to this day, do not know what a gun feels like in my hands, and I really have no interest in knowing what that feels like. So I certainly don't know how to load a shotgun. That's fair. See, my uh, my dad took me shooting when I was, like, I think the first time I had to be, like, six, which is just crazy, right? Like, that's insane. Like, I would not put a gun in my six-year-old's hands. I wouldn't put a gun in my 36-year-old hands. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put a gun in my hands now. The only thing I'm going to do with that is shoot myself, so. The <laughs> uh, yikes, bro. But, you know, it'd be like that sometimes. Um, but yeah, like, my yeah, my dad took me shooting for the first time. I think I was six. I think I went maybe a couple times, and then uh, I, had a, I had a terrible experience, and this is probably one of the reasons that I... My one of my first initial reasons for hating guns. Uh, now my reasons are the mass murdering of children throughout our country. <laughs> but <laughs> my initial reason was uh, obviously I'd gone a couple times now, um, so I knew how to shoot it. I knew how to load it. I knew how to put the safety on and take the safety off, like all of that stuff. And. I had the safety on, like, I, we were shooting, and then I turned the safety on, and I, my dad, like, said something to me, so I turned around, and I still had the gun, but, like, I didn't have my finger on the trigger, and I had the safety on, and I turned around, but, of course, the gun's pointing at him, right, and he, like, freaked the fuck out, like, I was gonna shoot him or something, and then he was just screaming at me, and I was, like, That was your moment, actually. That was your moment. I feel like I should have shot him, but, you know, (laughs) sometimes you learn a little too late. Uh, but yeah so after that i was like i am never going shooting again uh i don't know why i did this in the first place i hated my dad before and after that event so like (laughs) i don't even know why i went but after that i was like fuck guns fuck the nra (laughs) you knew quite a bit about the nra huh unfortunately yeah (laughs) arizona is first and foremost a lawless wasteland so but anyways, so yeah, we get a we get Will in there trying to load a shotgun, and then things are getting super intense in the shed. The lights kind of flickering, the music is insane. It's buzzing in your ears, and then boom, Will Byers is just gone, disappeared uh, in a flash of light. I do want to say the light bulb getting like more intense is pretty cool. Because you learn kind of what that stuff means yeah, way later yeah, on. Yeah, you learn, you learn the foreshadowing, which I think is really awesome. Um, and I was, yeah, I was thinking about this while we were watching the episode. Uh, so it seems, or initially, like, later on, you think of the lights mean Vecna, right? Like, yeah. But it's, like, realistically, then you also remember that later on... Um, I mean, even in the first season, Joyce uses the Christmas lights to communicate with Will... Um, and you realize, actually, this isn't an indicator for Vecna. This is an indicator for anybody from our universe being in that other universe, but on the same level of the plane 
as ours. So it's it's anybody from our universe, which is kind of neat because that actually the concept of that, like at the beginning of season four, we should have known that Vecna was originally a person. He was just a man like, in a in a boy's body. Um, doing so, crazy, whack-ass shit. I mean, listen, I was also obsessed with spiders as a child, and I didn't end up a weird tentacle man in another dimension but terrorizing you, children, so... You also literally have no control over your brain. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so... But yeah, I, I do think that's really cool, though, because, yeah, that, like, it's like, we should we should have known that that was just a person, and I think... Looking back, if anyone who didn't immediately come to the conclusion that, like, oh, this nurse that's helping Eleven is gonna end up being the big bad, like, and I definitely did not come to that conclusion probably until about halfway through season four of, like, oh, shit, this is probably Vecna, like, or, like, halfway through that story arc, I don't remember exactly where, but I thought that that was pretty cool. Um, also, I totally skipped over this, but just regarding early, early 80s fashion, can we just take a second to talk about how when Dustin goes upstairs to offer Nancy the last slice of pizza, her pajamas literally looked like a pair of scrubs. Like, it looked like she was wearing hospital-issued scrubs, and I just thought that that was so funny, but it had, like, a little embroidery pattern on the front. You were just looking at her chest, that's why I didn't see it. <laughs> Well, no, like, when she's on the bed, she's turning sideways, but... Also, why would I look at her chest? There's nothing there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, girl, what you mean? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love Nancy Wheeler, and I love Natalia Dyer, but there is nothing to look at, my guy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just, I thought that that was just really funny, because I personally having been born in the late 90s don't think i've ever seen pajamas like that that just look like hospital scrubs well as somebody born in the late 80s i've also never seen anybody <laughs> wear pajamas like that like for what reason would you be a teenager and be like this is gonna be real hot <laughs> well i'm i'm hoping that when you're a teenager and you're going to bed, you're not trying to look hot, like... Um, okay. <laughs> I know that's absolutely not the case, but... <laughs> it was at least true for me as a teenager. We don't want to hear about when you were a teenager, because well, that's slept, really terrifying. I slept naked. <laughs> so what's hotter than sleeping naked? Or sometimes with a t-shirt. Exactly how I sleep now. Easy access, baby. Yep. You know it. I had to make it easier for anybody sneaking into my room at night. Which was probably a lot of people hearing about your life. Yeah, your it, was, it was more than you would think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so going back, so Will di completely disappears. Um, and then cue to the next morning, uh, we see... Winona Ryder, for the first time, uh, playing Joyce Byers, Will's mom, and also his brother, uh, Jonathan, played by Charlie Eaton. Um, so, in the morning, they realize Will's missing. Uh, massive miscommunication, apparently, because it seems like usually Jonathan 
will make dinner and like put will to bed which i think is a little excessive because he's 12 not five but the putting to bed part the dinner obviously is normal um and joyce typically works late gets home the boys are already in bed so she just goes to sleep uh come next morning joyce is making breakfast and she's calling for the boys jonathan comes will doesn't and then they realize will is not home so everything kind of goes into hyperdrive after this moment um joyce of course is freaking out because even though she's a bit of an absentee mother she's not a bad mother uh no she's a poor mother she's poor so but i know that i often am like where are these kids parents whenever i'm watching this and i think that we have to remind ourselves that this was the 80s now i I personally had a mom that was like what are you doing where are you going can i come like girl no like go hang out with your own friends but uh like the 80s were kind of like that like i think a lot of people were latchkey kids where they just kind of came and went whenever it was light outside probably until about 92 ish whenever that stuff with adam walsh happened yeah um i think i think not only is this a reflection on the time period but also a reflection on social classes right i mean just like joyce not really knowing for sure where he is because she had to had to be out late at work yeah like there's no there's no option like not everybody has a nine to five where they get to drop their kids off at school and then potentially pick them up or meet them at home around the same time that they're getting home from work uh so it's like karen i think like the assumption is right like karen doesn't actually have a job her job is to take care of the kids so i was a little bothered by the fact that she wasn't like call me when you get home and then whenever they didn't call be like "Ooh, something might be up because i feel like that's what happened whenever i was a kid yeah that's fair um i mean i grew up in similar circumstances to will and jonathan um i did have two parents but my dad was definitely Lonnie adjacent, a bit of a deadbeat piece of shit. So. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> he won't. <laughs> he still asks me if I have a boyfriend every time he calls me. So <laughs> that man listens to nothing. Uh, for preference, uh, no, not preference, preface, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> Unless she's bored. Unless I'm bored. <laughs> and having a manic episode. Um, but yeah, so like, I mean, like my brother and I, we were, we were latchkey kids and we were teenagers in the late aughts, like early tens. Um, and yeah, I mean, we like sometimes like every time I tell my mom a story, she's like, when the fuck did that happen? Like, where was I? Where was your dad? Where was literally any adult in your life? And it's like, at work. Like, my brother and I were playing a game called The Glass Fight with the neighborhood kids when I was in, like, the fourth grade. Like, I started smoking in, like, the fourth grade. Like, <laughs> just all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And, and yeah, it's just, it's, 
it's a class issue, like, more than anything. Like, people who live in poverty, like, they can't afford to put their kids in childcare. They can't afford to have one of the parents stay home. Like, it's just a class issue. So out of curiosity, where did you get this glass from the field across the street from our grandma's house. It was house. just in the field? Yeah, it was just a field of broken glass. What? <laughs> I mean, I know that's what sand is, but... Well, you know, like, everybody... It was an empty lot, so people just litter there all the time. Like, they'd throw bottles, they'd throw glass, like... Actually, if I hear one more story from your childhood, I'm gonna have a stroke. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised I haven't had a stroke. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, anyways, so, so yeah, we're in, like, hyperdrive now of Joyce Byers freaking out because Will did not come home last night. So now she is calling the mothers of Will's friends, um, and, like, none of them, like, Karen tells her Will went home last night, um, so now she's full-on freaking out, and she ends up going straight to the police station to talk to the chief of police, Jim Hopper, played by David Harbour, um, who was also a former classmate of Joyce's uh, in high school, which totally makes sense because this is a small town and there's only one high school, so. I do want to note that it says that they're in Rowan County, Indiana and as a writer those details are like important right for me or they are for you um but Rowan County doesn't actually exist in Indiana like I looked it up and apparently it like exists in Tennessee very close to Indiana but not actually there so finding out exactly where Hawkins is in Indiana is not going to be easy and then you get to just decide move it as whatever is convenient for you. Very true. Very true. I think it's definitely safe to say that, I mean, obviously it's a small town, and I would consider it at least mildly remote, because then in season two, we get, like, the Starcourt Mall. Which um, is crazy. Yeah, which turns out to be a giant government front, but, I mean, but also just the fact that this government building is here, like, this secret government lab, I think it just speaks to the fact that this is at least, I'd say, three to four hours away driving from, like, a major city. So, yeah, I mean, the people really didn't seem to care. They were just excited to have a mole. Yeah. But, like, job like job inflation, right? So that brings more, like, a higher population, yeah. so. And that's that kind of stuff is, I think, more likely to happen in towns that are further away from the big cities. Because typically anywhere that's, like, within an hour in places like this... Uh, the people in those towns will just drive the hour to go to the major city to go to various shopping centers and baseball games, whatever, like, to have fun. Okay. People are crazy. Like, people do that? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, where I grew up, we would, we were an hour and a half from Las Vegas, and anytime we wanted to do something fun, we would drive to Vegas. And everybody did that. Like, you'd be like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to go to Vegas with my parents. Like, you, you ask me to go to Oklahoma City, I'm like, I don't think so, man. That's just too far. 
we live in Tulsa. Yeah, but it's still is, an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, but Tulsa is also a major city. <laughs> like, we have most of the stuff here that Oklahoma City has. The only thing we don't have is a shitty basketball team. So, so it's like, I keep telling people, like, no, no, no. We're, like, the second largest city in the state. Like, come on, we're not that small. But then I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, everybody thinks we're small. So I'm, like, having to resonate that we're really not small. Yeah. So now I have to convince myself also, this doesn't make sense. An hour and 15 minutes? An hour and a half? It's just a long time to be yeah. the driver in a car as a person who's often a driver in a car. I mean, well, if you think about it like this, uh, places on the outskirts of Tulsa, um, like Claremore, that kind of stuff. Probably like Bartlesville. Would or be Bartlesville. Better, yeah. Like, those are approximately 45 minutes away from Tulsa. Right. But you'll still have people that are driving 45 minutes to go to a hockey game or to a baseball game or to go shopping downtown, like, a whole like a whole day of shopping and going out to eat and whatever. Like, so it's, like, same concept to me as, like, Vegas was definitely farther, but, like, my town was literally middle of bumfuck nowhere. So I mean, I've been there. Yeah, and you've been there recently. There's a lot more stuff there than yeah. even when I moved away from Bullhead like five years ago. There's way more stuff. the The Target shopping center area that was that got built when I was like 13. Before that, we had a Walmart. We had a single Walmart and a J.C. Penney's. Well, I mean, I lived in Stillwater, which is an hour and 15 minutes away from Tulsa for five years, I think. And it's crazy to me because we had two Walmarts and no Target. And it's just yeah. like, this doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you just put a Target here? But the Walmarts were on opposite sides. You know, I worked, like, at Staples, and I would have to tell people, you want to take this package to UPS store, not here. And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. That's just so far away. And I would be like, what do you mean? That's like 10 minutes. It's just on the other side of town, but yeah. it's 10 minutes. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, the, the perception of how far something is in small towns is... Very Insane. interesting, yeah, uh, for sure. Because yeah, there are there are people that are like, oh, that's like, no, I don't want to go there for dinner. That's so far, and it's like it's fifteen minutes, and it's like then you live in somewhere like Tulsa or Kansas City, Oklahoma City, Chicago, any major city, and it's like to go anywhere yeah. is fifteen minutes, and mm -hmm. it's like that's an awesome commute. Like, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, to only have to travel that far. Like, but yeah, so circling back, uh, Joyce is freaking out. She ends up going to the police station. Um, so then we open this scene with Hopper coming in for work late on a Monday morning, um, comes in smoking a cigarette. Absolute fucking icon, honestly. Like, I don't wish that people could still smoke inside, but I love the concept of it. You know? So what you're saying is that smoking makes you look sexy? Yes, precisely. Okay. Only certain people. Like, do I look sexy when I smoke? No, Absolutely you look like not. an absolute hag, bro. I look like an asshole. <laughs> so true. Do um, I look sexy when I smoke? No, you look like a child holding a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> well and that's like, messed up and i'm like damn is that me when i was eight <laughs> the answer is yes um that's messed up um 
but yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I love it in theory. Uh, so like when I when I lived in Kansas City, there was this diner that I would go to sometimes with my friend Kate. Oh, I've been there with you. Yeah, I took you. I took you there once. I and yeah, you, can, <laughs> you can smoke inside this diner. It's it's an absolute trip. It's like being transported back to the fucking eighties, like for real. It's insane. even the early nineties. Yeah, I mean the nineties. I mean even early two thousands. Like my family yeah. and I used to go to this buffet where they had half of it was smoking and half of it was non smoking. Yeah. And it was super weird because my family would always go to the smoking section, which is probably why I only have two brain cells. And, but they would never smoke inside. Like, so we'd always be in the smoking section, but my parents wouldn't smoke at the table. You know, I had an aunt that like chain smoke. Well, my uncle too. They chain smoke so bad in their house that their walls were literally yellow. And, like, you know, my cousin would invite somebody over, and apparently she would, like, be so embarrassed about it, she would scrub the ceiling, trying to get it off. And it's like, this is crazy. Like, smoke ruins your stuff. Yeah, it really does. Um, like, I, I've never smoked cigarettes indoors. I think it's disgusting and disrespectful. And it's crazy, too, because it was 1964 when the Surgeon General said, smoking's bad for you. And it was at least, I don't know, what, 20 years? Yeah. 30 years, actually. At least 30 before places started, like... like, oh, this is serious. Yeah. Um, To where they at least started splitting it into, like, smoking and non-smoking areas. Right. Um... Which, yeah, it's, it's crazy to me because, and this is going to sound absolutely absurd, because my mom smoked cigarettes for about half of my life. But my mom is actually allergic to cigarette smoke. It's funny you say that, because my mom, too, and my mom smoked until the day she could not smoke anymore. Yeah, that and tracks. It's pretty crazy how people's lives become dependent on something in their hand and something to their mouth like chew gum bro just chew gum listen man i've tried sugar free it's even better for your teeth i mean listen man a good old pack of trident like you love dental health dental hygiene just get that sugar free gum no i've done it and then i just start chewing gum and vaping at the same time that's because you only have two brain cells one for the gum and one for the vape precisely just get rid of one of those it better be the vape a girl can dream yeah improvement personal improvement (laughs) so after that right is when they it cuts to them at the school um well we get uh Joyce and Hopper in Hopper's office. Uh, he comes in smoking a cigarette, grabs a donut, is eating it. His I love his secretary. Every single time he comes in smoking, she takes it and puts it out. Like, that bitch hates cigarettes, and she's like, Jim Hopper, I will bitch slap you into your next life. <laughs> but it doesn't Every work. Every single time. Like, you can't scare a man who wants to die. <laughs> so true. <laughs> He's like, why do you think I'm smoking? I'm trying to get bitch slapped into my next life. <laughs> So, yeah, I love her. She's honestly probably one of my favorite side characters, and I don't even remember what her name is. Um, Is it Joe? Joan? Maybe? Something. I think they said her name. Yeah. Or Joy? Maybe? No, that's too close to Joyce. Yeah, I feel like it's Joan. It might be Joan. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll let you guys know in next episode. Or will we? 
<laughs> the world may never know. <laughs> Might forget by then. <laughs> so don't worry, guys. I'll make a note. That doesn't sound like you. That sounds exactly like me. I am first and foremost a note taker. -taker. But second, a note forgetter. You got me there. <laughs> One brain cell for writing the notes, another for forgetting them immediately afterwards and never looking at them again. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we get uh, we get Joyce and Hopper in his office. And then uh, she's obviously freaking out, like, telling him, my son is missing. He did not come home last night. Uh, this is also when we get our first uh, indication really early on, which I love, that uh, Will might be gay. Um, oh, yeah. That did so, happen. Uh, so Joyce uh, tells Hopper, like, he's bullied by the other kids. Uh, he doesn't really fit in except for with his small friend group. Um, and she says that her ex-husband, Lonnie, used to call Will queer. Um, and that kind of, that kind of starts to get Hopper's attention, which... Maybe that should be a tracker, too. How many times they infer that Will is gay. Yeah, good call. So, so yeah, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna do a Will is gay tracker. And uh, we'll we'll keep the tally at the end of each episode. So, but yeah, that uh, that kind of starts to get Hopper's attention. Um, I think kind of like, why would a kid like this run away from the safety of his home? And Hopper's still pretty insistent that he probably is with a family member. He thinks maybe Lonnie. Um, so Joyce agrees to call her ex-husband. Um, and Hopper, uh, at this point, is starting to take this case a little more seriously. Um, which I think is nice, because it's like, it all happens within, like, a less than five-minute conversation. Well, the first 48 hours is a damn good TV show for a reason. Yeah. But it's also really important. Yeah, so I think, it's it's honestly, it's kind of just nice to see that, like, uh, I think, uh, like, a man like Hopper just at first he's very like blase about it and not really taking mm -hmm. it seriously but like within a single conversation is like okay like you're you're being for real like i'll help you find your son i think they try to take missing child cases pretty seriously but it's like whenever they reach like 16 but in the 80s they didn't take it as seriously as they do now that's for damn sure yeah. Well, yeah, definitely wasn't taken as seriously. And just in general, like, even nowadays, but especially back in the 80s, yeah. um, just the habit of not taking women seriously. Um, and I think that uh, the currently unsaid history between uh, Joyce and Hopper plays a little bit of a role in this because they did go to high school together, so they do know each other. Um, yeah, I do, I did kind of get the feeling that they were friends-ish in high school, and then they, um, they probably went and, you know, lived their own lives, you know, they got married to different people, and they drifted apart, so they're familiar with each other, and I think they respect each other, but they definitely didn't have a friendship at the beginning, like, when the show starts. Yeah. They, it develops, and it mostly develops because... 
Will goes missing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think I think another part of it too is I think that as the conversation goes on, Hopper kind of starts to see like the sheer amount of terror in Joyce's eyes. Um, and I think that we later in this episode learn that he had a daughter who died. Um, I don't understand why this man is lying about it, but okay. Yeah, so later on, uh, when they when they form a search party and they're searching for Will in the forest, uh, Hopper gets asked by the boys... Scott Clark. Scott Clark, yeah. Biology teacher. Biology teacher, AV club uh, supervisor. Um, he gets asked, or he asks Hopper about his... Or Hopper's talking about his daughter, and then the teacher essentially says, like, Oh, well, how old is she? Like, am I going to have her in my class? And then Hopper lies and says she actually lives in the city with her mom. Um, and then as he walks forward more into the darkness of the forest, another woman leans to the teacher and uh, tells him that his daughter died. I want to say she says, like, a few years beforehand. Yeah. Um, Which would kind of indicate that uh, and I think we've talked about this before, that she's probably close-ish to Jonathan's age. I mean, there, he's got to be, what, 16, I think. He's driving. Uh, I don't I don't think Jonathan's age. I think she would actually be close to Will's age. Uh, which, we have talked about this before, but this was actually something I realized. So you thought about it afterwards. In this moment. Uh-huh. Um, because... Later on in the series, when we see the flashbacks of his daughter, she looks to be about maybe eight years old. Um, And that's indicating that that's the time leading up to her getting sick and dying, which means she probably died within a year or so Mm -hmm. of those memories, maybe two years. And uh, that, I think, would put her around the same age as Will, which I think that that and seeing the terror in Joyce's eyes regarding her son was a big motivator in Hopper being like, oh, this is serious. I'm going to help you because he's like, I don't want to watch somebody that I know lose their child the way that I did. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and I think that that's a really cool, like, thing to get to piece together as the series goes on. Like, I really, really love Hopper as a character. I think he's got a lot of, a lot of depth for sure so but so anyways going back to um them talking in the office uh then we skip to our next scene where uh jim is now interviewing the boys at school um regarding the last time they saw will uh like anything that might be helpful in this investigation so he pulls the boys um out of av club to talk to them and this is where uh, we find out that uh, Will, like, cuts off from the group heading home from Mike's near Mirkwood, which is a, like, made-up area of a street um, that the boys named after a place from Lord of the Rings. No, no, the it's Hobbit. The Hobbit. <laughs> okay, Dustin. <laughs> so... 
So we find that out, and that gives Hopper kind of a general idea of where to start looking for Will. Um, and he also explicitly tells the boys, the police are handling this, do not go searching for your friend. Um, which is makes a lot of sense, because they're 12 and a child has maybe been kidnapped or hurt in some terrible way, so extremely valid on his part. Um, and I'm not sure, I don't remember if it happened before or after that, but that uh, Hopper goes to the buyer's house with some fellow officers, and he is essentially, or no, it's, yeah, it's after that. They go to that area, they find Will's bike, right? And they find the bike, it's like relatively close to the buyer household, so they're like, okay, he clearly got in an accident or something, but he left his bike here and most likely booked it towards his house, um, which Hopper immediately finds super strange, right? Because a 12-year-old is not just going to leave their bicycle in the middle of the forest. He specifically says it's like a Cadillac to these kids, which is very, very true. Like, I... I can't remember going anywhere without my bike when I was around that age. I guess that's true. I didn't actually go anywhere, so I definitely didn't go anywhere without my bike. Uh, but I do feel like, for me, I want to mention, like, Officer Callahan. You know, he's pretty steady throughout the series. Um, and he's just trying to do his job. But I like the actor a lot. His name is John Reynolds. He... Um, he plays in that show Search Party, but he's also in that, like, Hulu series Four Weddings and a Funeral that they did. Yeah. And he's just, he's really good, and I think that he's kind of starting to get a little bit more, but I think that if you just pay attention to his character a little bit, he's trying to do his job, but he's also a little bit of an asshole, but he's just... Yeah. But they are difficult kids to do your job with, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's also, if you think about it, he's not privy to the information about this alternate dimension right. or any of this. So for him, it's like all of these crazy things are happening. And he has no context for this. Like, so I I honestly completely understand yeah. his reaction. Like, he's, he's kind of that guy that's like, y'all are being overdramatic. Like, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a bit of an asshole if he actually knew what was going on. Yeah. But in his perspective, like, you know, you're a police officer, you deal with kids prank calling, like, the office and all of these things all the time that you're like, these kids are so annoying. Like, yeah, I mean, he's just ignorant to what is actually going on. And he's like, you guys, there's a kid missing. I just want to do my job. Yeah. And they're like, mm, we're not actually going to give you any kind of information because you would freak out. And he's like, okay, I am already freaking out. Yeah, so true. Yeah. So, Wait, uh, it just seems like Joyce is like already in that anger stage of grief, for sure. But, um, I mean, that's valid for sure. Yeah, well, Joyce, uh, I think, is it's very interesting, this episode, and I mean throughout season one, honestly, because 
she is grieving, but she's not grieving the death of her son. She's grieving the absence, just the absence, right. the fact that he's missing. So she skips over, I think, any form of acceptance. Like, she doesn't start out accepting that Will is gone and dead. Right. She skips immediately, yeah, to that anger stage of just being extremely pissed off that her son is missing and that nobody else seems to care about it as much as she does. Yeah, so um, one thing that I always forget is that they have a dog. Yeah. And I have no idea what this dog's name is. I feel like we do hear the dog's name at some point. Right. I just do not remember what it is. Like, so, like, they have a dog. I think Dustin has a cat. But it's like, does anybody else even have pets in the whole show? I mean, I'll just say one thing about poor people is they're always going to have a pet. Yeah. I mean, look at us now. Yeah, and I mean, arguably, Dustin and Will are the poorest. Yeah, like, I mean, Dustin doesn't, I mean, has a single mom. Yeah, I mean, because uh, the Sinclairs, from what we've seen of their house, it seems pretty nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dustin and Will both have single moms. Um, and we don't really, we don't ever hear anything about what happened to Dustin's dad. So, nope. I would assume that maybe he either left when Dustin was young or he might have died. So, either one of those. But yeah, they're, they're arguably the poorest. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're the two that have pets. Which, yeah, that's very interesting because, yeah, as a poor person, like, we had so many dogs like we actually bred chihuahuas um not really intentionally we just i guess couldn't afford to get any of our animals fixed so not even as a side gig yeah like it wasn't like we're gonna breed chihuahuas and make a bunch of money like no we would just end up having puppies like once or twice a year and then we'd be like ah shit and then we'd like give them to friends we would maybe sell them like maybe for like 50 bucks or something and arizona chihuahuas are very very popular um so we pretty much always managed to get the dogs into good homes like and anytime and we always told people to like if you end up not being able to keep the dog like let us know and we'll take it back and i think there were two dogs that we had for years that we had gotten back from people that got them as puppies but yeah poor people definitely always have animals i think it's you i think part of it is just you need that emotional support to cope with the fact that you're poor one medical bill away from killing yourself (laughs) or filing bankruptcy (laughs) so uh but after that um is when they were at the dinner table right the wheelers so that's when we noticed we noticed for the first time that nancy said bullshit yeah so i think we're gonna try to keep track of how many times she says bullshit yeah it's not my go-to curse word but it's It's, pretty solid it's definitely nancy's so i'm i'm actually pretty excited to see how many times she says bullshit throughout the entire series because there's one episode where she says it 
at least ten times, so. Good for her, man. <laughs> like, yeah, for real. <laughs> um, we've actually kind of skipped over a lot of the Nancy storyline um, this episode, and honestly, it just really is not that important to the plot. Um, I mean, I really don't want to talk about how pushy Steve probably is. Anyway, I was, like, really bothered by their relationship in this episode. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, he's definitely a pushy teenage boy, um, and it's just, it's kind of hard because it's like, somehow Nancy seems to be enjoying it and not enjoying it at the same time. Right. Which is very weird, and it, like, that might just be coming from a place of being uncomfortable with that kind of stuff because she has no experience with dating or anything, um, and it's definitely a very interesting dynamic, uh, and I frankly wish that we could talk to the actual Nancy Wheeler about her emotions during that time period of her life, but unfortunately that is not possible. Yeah, yeah, like it... Unless, it, Natalia Dyer, if you would like to come on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, you know, Steve trying to tell Nancy that he can help her with chemistry, and it's like, bro, you can't help her study yeah. nothing. Well, and she straight calls him out, right? She, yeah. she says, you failed chemistry, and then he's like, I got a C-, and it's like, sir, that is not impressive. <laughs> yeah. I skipped... 90% of my chemistry class in high school, and I still got a B. So that's definitely relatable, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting dynamic, and I think I think it's partially intentional because, um, as most people know who are fans of the show, Steve was not supposed to be a mainstay. Um, they did intend to murder him. So I think they kind of wrote him initially as a bit of an unlikable character, but then you have Joe Keery, who's just, I personally think, a great actor and really cool guy, um, and bringing just little moments of humanity and, like, kindness to his character, that then they were like, oh, we can't kill him. Like, we love this guy. Like, so... I think that I think that that's part of it. I think it was a bit intentional to make him like a little pushy and stuff uh, regarding his relationship with Nancy, and that yeah, I think I think that that makes sense. Yeah. Um, also, another random thing that I just forgot to bring up. Uh, <laughs> we also got introduced to Matthew Modine in this episode. And I just want to talk for a second about just how much I love Matthew Modine. And honestly, like, there, there are multiple characters where I'm like, honestly, anybody could have been cast as this character. But, like, Brenner, like, I could not picture anybody but Matthew Modine. Like, I mean, I definitely picture myself wanting to punch that man in the face. The character that's valid yep. but then i like i want to punch brenner in the face but i want matthew modine to give me a hug because that's my grandpa for real like well get him to call you we need all the help we can get so true um but yeah we get to we get to see just a little bit of martin brenner in this episode um and i think it's a bit of a like great but subtle introduction into just a really complex character who is, in a way, the big bad, but also a father figure. 
to 11, which I think is very interesting. Um, oh, I get it now. It's like your dad, you know, always doing the wrong thing, but trying, but not the greatest way of trying, <laughs> but almost there. He's like, oh my, oh, he almost had it. <laughs> but, but he instilled you with so many skills that a lot of people wouldn't understand, but you got him. You got him down. I'm like, you need me to fix a hole in your wall? I got it. Your yeah. toilet's clogged? I got it. You need your tire changed? I got it. You need to put a new rim on that bad boy? You need to ask me the correct way to be a father? I don't got it. I have no experience in that department. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I just yeah, I, I just think that his, his introduction in the first episode... Uh, it actually kind of parallels um, our introduction to Eleven, right? Yeah. Which I don't think we've really talked about we that have, at all. We just barely. I said Eleven for the first time 30 seconds ago. Which right? is crazy, because Eleven is my favorite number. Valid. <laughs> my birthday falls on the 11th day of the month. Valid. It's a great number. It is a great number. Also... It's two ones. It's my Chinese zodiac number is a one. True. So 11 is the greatest it's, number. It's all coming together. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that their introductions kind of parallel each other in a very subtle way, which is also fantastic because even though, like, just coming next episode, 11 is going to be a major player. Right. In the series. Um, and Matthew Modine kind of like filters in and out a little bit um, and doesn't really become a major, major role until season four. But that introduction, though, I think having both of them be so subtle like that, it almost, looking back, feels intentional because, like I said, come season four, like, he is a major player. Like, and it's very indicative of, like, how the way that you're raised and where you come from has so much to do with the person that you are. Like, even though everyone is obviously capable of change, like, but that plays such a major role in who we are as people. I think one of the things that I love the most about Eleven, which you kind of see over time, is that people are just people. Um, she doesn't, like, have any predisposition about what is formal and is not formal behavior for other people in society. I mean, she really has no idea how society functions. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, I think it's nice because you get to see somebody who's a teenager not have any of those negative connotations with society directly. But she definitely um, comes out of her shell in that area. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a... It's funny you bring that up because, yeah, she has no preconceptions about anything really like all she knows is this man is my father this is where i live and i can do crazy shit with my brain like that's that's like all she knows like yeah even in this first episode uh during the lab incident um 11 somehow escapes right and then we are initially introduced to her she is approaching a building where she sees a man outside um and she ends up sneaking through the back door where the man just came through um and she it's she enters into a kitchen um it's a little diner 
and she spots some fries. She's obviously like, damn, I'm hungry, and starts eating it. Which is an, another example of how she just has no <clears throat> preconception of anything. Because, like, she's used to... Like, they just give her food at this facility. Like, Yeah, yeah. I do also want to say that while we were watching it, he was flipping those burgers. And I was like, man, a burger sounds so good. We had burgers earlier, but that power of suggestion really had me yeah. going for a second. An day. hour and a half before we watched the show, we ate burgers. And yeah. I'm like, what if we also had burgers for dinner? Yeah, so, like, they really had us in the first half. Yeah, that for one. real. So, the power of suggestion, especially when you only have two brain cells. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so she starts uh, munching on some fries. Um, guy catches her, uh, grabs her, sits her down. Uh, so we can talk to her. She's not really speaking, um, which obviously is frustrating for this guy. Uh, he ends up, he makes her a burger because she's obviously hungry. Um, I think initially when he grabs her, he's like going after some thief in his kitchen, right? And then he realizes it's a child. This is a small child, a little girl in a hospital gown, no shoes, hospital gowns tattered. So he's like, I gotta help this girl. Like, obviously there's something going on. So he makes her a burger because she's obviously starving. And sitting down with her, he's trying to get her to communicate. Um, she won't do it. She won't talk back to him at all. And he's getting frustrated. He ends up grabbing the burger out of her hands, mm-hmm. um, which I personally just think is really disgusting. Um, for some reason, that moment always just vehemently upsets me more than most other things that happen in this entire show. That's like, actually crazy to me because you actually don't really mind sharing food that much. No, but if a random man <laughs> grabbed my burger out of my hands, bitch, I am not eating that. Men don't even wash their hands after they pee. I'll tell you, my own mother could come take my burger out of my hand and I would be fucking pissed. Like, don't touch my food. I know I'm not going to eat it. But you can't have it unless I say you can have this. Yeah. Like, don't do it. Valid. Yeah, I mean, like, if I was eating a burger... I mean, well, a burger is different, right? Because it's like a single entity. It's all together. It kind of, like, drips. And you hold it with your hands. I actually like, don't want a burger now that you've described it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of like its own thing. But like if I'm eating a burger and I also have fries and you grab a fry off my plate. I mean, that's different. That's not going to bother me. Yeah, no. If you grab my whole ass burger out of my hands, I'm going to be like, bitch, what the fuck? You're going to be like, cash me outside. Like, or similarly, if you grab a slice of pizza out of my hands while I'm in the middle of taking a bite. I'm gonna be upset, but, like, if you, if I ordered a pizza, and the box is sitting next to me, and I'm eating a slice, and then you grab another slice out of the pizza box, that's totally fine. I don't care. But, like, the food that I'm currently putting into my mouth, if you grab that, like, I'm gonna throw hands, for real. Not even because it's, not even just because it's disgusting, but also because, like, bitch, I'm obviously hungry. Why are you taking my food as I'm putting it into my mouth? I think I think anytime you're eating, you're you're definitely hungry because your body has to remind you to eat, and so that's the only time you're eating, or you're just eating the whole day. Yeah, boredom. Yeah, it's a bitch. Yeah, it's so. ADHD also. True. It'll do it to you. <laughs> ding ding ding. But yeah. uh... So yeah, he, but that does get her to talk, right? Like, he, he takes the burger. And he and, me to talk, too. 
I'll yeah. be saying a whole bunch of shit. I'd be saying, you're bullshit, I'm bullshit, this is bullshit. <laughs> I'll be going full Nancy Wheeler in this house. So, but yeah, so that finally gets her to talk. Uh, he finds out, um, well, he asked her about her tattoo, right? Zero one one. Um, And she says, like, that's me. I'm 11. Like, which, honestly, huge fucking red flag. If I had a child show up at my place of work that's, like, approximately 10, 11 years old, by the looks of it, and has a tattoo on their wrist of a number, like, they just escaped, and a shaved head, mind you, like, they just escaped a concentration camp, like... Girl, I am putting that kid in my car, and I am driving straight to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Well, that's the problem, though, right? He didn't do that. He called social services. Yeah, which, very odd that he just, I was gonna, I was about to say very odd that he just had the number for social services, but then I remember he probably called 411. No, he looked it up in the phone book. Uh, Ah, yeah, that tracks. So he did that, but then you made a comment about how the phones are probably tapped. Yeah. Is presumably what happened. Well, yeah, no, that's definitely what mm-hmm. happened. Um, I'm sure that they were monitoring phone lines and various other forms of communication looking for this girl because this is a top secret government asset, right? So, man. And obviously, she also couldn't have gotten too far, right? So, they're probably combing the woods, they're tapping phone lines, like, doing all of these things to locate this girl, because she's definitely somewhere in the area of Hawkins. Because she's on foot, she doesn't even have shoes, right? <clears throat> so, so yeah, he ends up, he calls social services, um, and then the woman gets there, um, and he is surprised, because she got there so fast, right? Which is obviously because she came from the little government electricity place that is five minutes away in the middle of the woods. Um, But here's the crazy thing to me, right, is he lets this woman in, like she says she's from social services, he lets her in, they get inside, and then she immediately pulls out a gun and shoots him, right? And I just thought that that was so bizarre because... Like, why not just play into it, right? Like, why have to have a body to clean up now? Yeah, I don't understand why he needed to die. Like, he wasn't resisting or anything. He was literally walking her to the kid. He's like, come on, I'll show you where she is. I'll introduce you. And she's like, okay, boom, boom. Yeah, so, and it's like, they could have potentially gotten Eleven to trust that, oh, this is a woman trying to help me, just like this man helped me. Yeah. Like... And then just got her in the car and then taken her straight back to the facility. Um, this obviously mostly does not happen for the sake of writing. And they clearly did that on purpose so that Eleven would escape. But it's still just absolutely bizarre to me. Um, and, like, poor Benny. Like, rest in peace, brother. I know. You look like you made a great burger. The burger looks great. You seem like a really nice man. So, R.I.P., dude. But yeah, so... Put that in the unnecessary deaths column. Perfect. Unnecessary deaths, Benny. We will also be tallying that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we got all that going on. Uh, bring it back to... Hopper um, is... Checking out the buyer's residence now after going through the woods. Um, and he is examining everything. He finds a little indent in the wall by the back door. 
um, asked Joyce, like, if it's always been there. She says she has no idea. And I think that's uh, honestly very realistic because I think a lot of times in houses, you're like, sometimes you'll randomly see something and you're like, damn, has that been there the whole time? Oh, yeah. I think we do like, that all the time. With the cracks in our ceiling because our foundation is slipping off the... Uh, right into the right. earth yeah <laughs> so our foundation is like i actually don't want to be here yeah and so right. it's just not like um, other other houses are like bitch you'll never catch me slipping and our house is like girl i'm slipping every day <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> so but yeah i mean i feel like every day i'd see a crack somewhere in the ceiling or something and i'm like damn has that always been there and then i'm like probably and it's like i have no idea i really don't it's true so but it uh, obviously looks like the door was like thrown open, right? And then and it was. Yeah, and the door handle knocked into the wall, and Hopper's correct in his assumption. Um, so he ends up going outside. The dog is kind of freaking out. Uh, Joyce brings said dog back inside, and then he goes to check out the shed, um, which is where he sees that there's some like ammo out. Uh, and a gun, and it kind of looks like it was, like, haphazard on the table, right? Like, it wasn't put away, so it looks like somebody was maybe trying to load it up. Um, and then the lights go freaky again, right? Mm-hmm. And go out, and then he's looking around, finds a flashlight, um, and finds, like, some broken stuff in the shed as well, uh, until Officer Callahan comes in. Um, and then, at this moment, uh, he's like, something happened to this kid like he came running through this house and felt like he needed to grab a gun yeah and clearly got snatched before he was able to defend himself so that's like the i think really the oh shit moment for hopper um and then i believe uh that's actually then where we pan back to the like to the scene where uh social services shows up for l and then benny gets shot and l mm -hmm. runs away and escapes from them right mm -hmm. so so yeah she she runs and then uh after that then we pan to the boys using their radios um and talking about how they should go out and try to search for will as well uh i gotta say i really love just how lucas like speaks um I mean, like, there was earlier where he, like, at the beginning of the episode, he called, he called one of the other ones a pussy, and, like, he just says the thing that exactly what you're thinking as the viewer, just completely, like, unabashed, which is really yeah. nice. Lucas is really cool. Yeah, I think it's also just really interesting as well, because, uh, yeah, he's, he's a character that is not afraid to speak his mind in a time where someone who looks like him, a black kid, like, could potentially get, like, the crap beat out of him or worse. I mean, yeah, for, he's a nerd, for saying too. these things, like... Yeah. Like, he's a black kid in a small town in the 80s, and he's a massive nerd. Like, he could potentially get literally beaten to death right like there are a lot of terrible things that could happen to this kid 
and he still is just not afraid to speak his mind, stand up for what he believes in. And I, yeah, I think that's really, really cool. I think Lucas is a super underrated character. And he is very introspective, too. It doesn't seem like he just says things without thinking about them, regardless of the way that might appear. Yeah, like, I think really the only does. time he necessarily does that is when he's bickering with Dustin. I think they have a very... I think that's how they just yeah, talk to each other? I, I think that they just have a very sibling-esque relationship, him and Dustin. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I call my brother a pussy all the time. Like, yeah. I only talk to him every couple months on the phone, and I probably call him a pussy every time we're on the phone with each other, so... Yeah. Of course. As one does with siblings, so... But... But yeah, so they're all, uh, like, on their radios, they agree they need to go out and try and find Will, right? So they all meet up around the Mirkwood area with their bikes. Uh, they go out into the forest to search for their friends. And that is when they happen to run into Eleven, who is running away from these government agents that had come for her and shot Benny. Uh, and they run into her. And then that point, credits roll. Um, but it's a very... I think it's honestly a really great merging of storylines like right at the end there um it was a really good setup like uh it's really hard i whenever i first started being like ever interested in writing i got this book called hooked and it basically was talking about how the first line is really important and if you don't get people in on the first line then they're not going to be interested and i think that's really more than anything true for the first episode of a show and I really think that the way that they merged made you go, okay, well, now what's going to happen? Yeah, definitely. And the convenient thing is that with uh, streaming, you didn't have to wait because the episode didn't drop a week later or the next episode dropped right now. Yeah. So, yeah, you could, you could just, well, you could and you can just keep watching right just keep watching for the most part there are some shows now that are on streaming services that do air weekly but for the most part yeah a lot of them do those big drops for the whole season um and similarly to missing children those first 48 hours are really important right like they want to know how many people have streamed this and they want to know how many times that they've streamed it um it's really important to them to see these numbers on streaming services so that they know how popular the show is so that hook that you were talking about like that's really important um obviously to start an episode and to end an episode because you want the viewers to just keep watching it you want to get those numbers right and i think stranger things does uh, like just a fantastic job of the beginnings and the endings of their episodes right right So, I mean, that pretty much covers this episode. I'm sure there's going to be things that we're going to bring up later. There are definitely this. things that we missed or didn't really put a lot of attention on. Um, I do want to say that it's very clear that Jonathan really cares about his family, and he really does more than he really should have to do. Uh, and he really feels those emotions really heavily, especially because he feels guilty that Will didn't come home, despite the fact that he was doing something to try to help them and make things a little easier for them. 
Yeah. So, and I mean, honestly, like, the thing is, it wouldn't... With the context that we have as viewers, it wouldn't have mattered if Jonathan was there at the time that Will was supposed to be home, instead of getting home later and mm -hmm. not checking his bed, uh, because... Will would have been abducted anyways. Like... I, it could have been Jonathan, too. Like, yeah, I mean, they, they might have both disappeared if Jonathan was home. It's like, not like it's it was, like, just one dude. It was, like, yeah. a supernatural creature. Yeah, so... Appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, they're, like, unbeknownst to the characters at this point in time, like, they're dealing with an otherworldly entity. So, this wasn't some villain, like, regular old man that came into their house and took Will. Like, this is supernatural stuff that they at this point in time do not even know exist so yeah and it's like crazy because it was like it's that horror thing that will was in that flashback telling joyce that he's not scared anymore but then he's really faced with something really terrifying and i would be fucking scared shitless i probably would have pissed myself if i was will like yeah, okay troy <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah it's a it definitely is crazy. Uh, I think Jonathan as a character uh, in this first episode is, um, he's very likable, but he's also very sad to watch, for sure. Um, because one, it's like he, he took an extra shift to try to help his family because they're poor. Then his brother goes missing, and it's like he definitely is blaming himself, right? Uh, I mean, next day even, uh, Joyce is on the phone, on and off all day, and Jonathan is in the background, like, making posters, like, have you, s he's, he's literally like, have you seen my son? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, um, speaking of, I guess I would have to say my favorite character from this episode, in a twist of shock something that I've never said before is Will. Really? Yeah. I don't think I ever realized how much character he actually had in that episode. And I didn't really think about it. Like, how much bravery he had. I mean, I couldn't fucking... I don't know what I would do if a Demogorgon showed up at my house. I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, it's alright, I have dogs. But, like, they had a dog. And what the hell did Rufus do? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you think about it. Um, and I think, I think one of the reasons it's easy to forget that Will is actually pretty brave. Yeah. Um, is because then after this, like, he's gone for... Right. I think, uh, you know, he had the least amount of screen time, but every single second was impactful and necessary. There were a lot of things that were unnecessary. Um, not a lot of things, but there were some things. I mean, in my opinion, um, like the Steve and Nancy making out in the bathroom was unnecessary. It was nice to get context, but I don't really need that much screen time, you know? Yeah. Um, but every single second that Will was on screen was important. And I told you, I never said it before. You'd never heard me say that. Yeah, I haven't. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's honestly a really good 
opinion uh, from my perspective because really like Noah Schnapp he's kind he's kind of a powerhouse like he's really really talented um, especially at that age I think he was either 10 or 11 when they filmed the first season uh, and yeah I mean he just he's he's got that thing that I think I usually associate with like final girls right of just this power and magnetism and the ability to in one scene go from showing joy to terror when you hear that Noah you're a final girl he should be like yeah Noah Schnapp in the next Scream movie <laughs> yeah for real sign my petition <laughs> <laughs> I will link it <laughs> on our Twitter page that we don't have yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's uh, that's extremely valid. He really, yeah, he is super, super talented this episode. Um, I was also going to say, I think that the first episode is one of my favorite episodes for Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably saying that because it's one of the few episodes before I start deeply hating him as a character. No, I feel that. Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> so this is a this is a really strong Jonathan episode um, because I, it it just puts that place card in of like this is a good decent guy that really loves his family. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the benefits, which we've never done this before, but of watching this episode by episode instead of watching them all like in a row is you have the time to kind of drink in the characters and um, have feelings for them based on like such a minimal amount of time instead of such a large span of time yeah so obviously he does terrible stuff and because usually we watch it you know like a marathon um we feel sad for him and then we feel like he's disgusting or you know whatever and I, I really think being able to separate those moments really allows you to appreciate certain qualities that people have like Jonathan has so yeah that is a benefit I think it also it's helpful because realistically it's like that is how you encounter and build relationships with people in real life right like you're not gonna learn yeah you're not gonna learn everything about a person in a day you're gonna learn maybe a couple things about them in a day um and over time like as you know them you're gonna learn different aspects of their character their personality the way that they think about the world the decisions that they make um so i think separating this and watching it the way that we're doing now for this podcast is really helpful in fleshing out those details of the characters um, to compare. And also just to bring understanding, uh, just for example, um, just seeing it this way, I am more able to now than I ever have been before understand Nancy immediately forgiving and kind of sweeping under the rug uh the jonathan photograph incident um, yeah that happens well he's also a really in great a episodes. photographer which really helps i mean he just has that eye that really makes it all okay <laughs> like but 
I mean, you, th you think about it too, though, it's like this is a small town, um, all of these people, especially if you're in the same grade, you've known these other kids your whole life. Uh, so thinking of it in that aspect and like this day-by-day uh, -day building, it's like that is, as far as we know, the only weird thing that he's ever done, right? Like, and especially as far as Nancy knows, because she's potentially known Jonathan Byers for 10 years since they started going to preschool. So, I mean, yeah. Like, she's like, he's not, like, her immediate thing isn't, like, he's a pervert freak. It's like she acknowledges this is a kid that gets bullied, he takes care of his family, like... And he's her, been through it. Yeah, her immediate thing is, like, he made a mistake. Yeah. Like, and this is the first time watching it episode by episode like this that I've been able to understand that. Like, I can't believe you don't just hate Jonathan right now. Not in this moment. Wait until we get to that episode, then I'll be like, he's a fucking scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> so. That sounds like you, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I so, mean, yeah, so I just, I definitely think that's, uh, the most beneficial part, though, of watching it this way um and to kind of segue off of that watching it episode by episode um we've got some fun things that we decided to do uh as we're watching so first thing uh we talked about this earlier a nancy bullshit counter um episode by episode currently nancy bullshit counter is at one um, it might be more than that. I'm pretty sure it's only one for this episode. Now that we know that we're doing this, we're going to go back, watch that, confirm that it was only one time this episode, and then we're going to give you the Nancy bullshit count uh, in every single episode of this podcast, which I think will be super fun to see uh, how she progresses into our bullshit, bullshit queen more and more and more. Uh, and then... Another thing that I thought would just be fun, uh, we were talking about earlier the foreshadowing of Will being gay, which was finally, like, for real confirmed in season four, uh, which I don't even think it was, like, actually said, right? It was just, it was just so heavily implicated that, like, it could not be ignored at this point. Um, so we got our first indicator of Will being gay in this episode with uh, Joyce talking to Hopper about how Lonnie used to call him queer. So our count for that is at one. I just thought it might be neat to see how many times they foreshadow Will being a homosexual. Um, like, that's my boy, you know? <laughs> so, uh, unnecessary death count. That's another fun one we're gonna do. Uh, unnecessary deaths this episode. Benny, the burger man. Um, literally no reason for them to shoot him, as we as we discussed earlier. Uh, he definitely could have just... Like, they could have just taken L back to the facility without murdering him. Um, and, uh, frankly, I feel bad. Like, what, what happened to his body? Does his family know? Like, I have no idea. But Does he have was, a family? Yeah. I don't know, but that was super Who fucking unnecessary. Who is Benny? Like, what's Benny's last name? Burger Man. Right, I forgot. Benny the Burger Man. <laughs> right. So, uh, so yeah, we got, we got one unnecessary death. I guess, would it be two? The guy at the beginning died. 
He got slaughtered. Yeah, but like that wasn't really that funny. wasn't unnecessary though. That was like that's like that was supernatural. Important. That was important for the storyline. So like right. every unnecessary every supernatural death in this show is an unnecessary death. But we're talking about like human on human volatile shit. Like yeah. for what reason, bro? For what reason? True. Yeah. Alright. So yeah, we're at we're at one unnecessary death. And then my favorite, besides the Nancy bullshit counter, of course. Um, how many times does Steve Harrington get called stupid, an idiot, a dingus, just something along those lines? Uh, so this episode, we have two times Nancy saying, you're an idiot, Steve Harrington. Um, and frankly... I just love the way she says it, you know? It's like, it's so endearing. Like, I want Nancy Wheeler to call me an idiot. Yeah, she says it like, uh, she's trying to be cute, but she also means it. Yeah, she's like, you're an idiot, Steve Harrington. Why would I want you to help me study for chemistry? You're such an idiot, Steve Harrington. I don't need you. And then he's like, sure you do. Let's play strip study. It's like, bro, get out of my house. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I love that. Um, obviously, they planned for Steve to die, but I think that the amount of times that he gets called an idiot are kind of an unintentional foreshadowing of him becoming the himbo that we all know and love. The dingus in yeah. our lives. Yeah. The dumbass babysitter, if you will. So... We got at least he's free. <laughs> true. I would not pay this man to babysit my children. So true. At least he comes with his own nail bat. So I want one. Just in Me case too. of a zombie apocalypse. I really just like I want to make one that looks just like the one from the show and do just it. hang it on the wall. Do it. We Honestly. have wall space. We do. Uh, if we I don't, we'll make it. Badass. I'm definitely gonna get that tattooed on me at some point. Like hundred percent. I've already I've already talked to Erica about it. Well, Erica's gotta whip out her old tattoo gun. She'll do it anytime. Anytime. But yeah, so uh yeah, finishing up we got uh one Nancy bullshit, one Will is gay, one useless death, and two Steve's an idiot. Fun stuff. Those are pretty good numbers. That's a pretty good start. Yeah. Yeah. We're on episode one, so I'm sure this is going to get extremely out of hands. Probably within just a few episodes, to be honest. We're like, so this is our 30th different count that we're doing. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, I can't keep track anymore. So we're gonna we're estimating. We're going to need to get like a whiteboard and just do tally marks, I think. Yeah, it'll be you suck. <laughs> you rock. Yeah. And it's all going to be in the you suck column because we're going to get confused. So true. But we need Robin standing right there holding it. We can get a cutout. Oh my god, we should get a cutout. <laughs> we should absolutely get a cutout. Yes. Uh, alrighty. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for the first episode of Stranger Takes. Um, we're probably going to be doing this weekly. Uh, make some social media accounts, all that fun stuff. 
So we will see you guys next time. And I heard that you're supposed to say, just based off of the podcasts I have listened to, rate, review, and subscribe. So true, Queen. Alrighty. You heard her, lads. Bye. Over and out. (laughs)